Hey nurses, welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast, you start remembering the good times and things to be grateful for. Uh, to me, that's living a good life, to be grateful for what you have and not be bitter about what you would like to have and don't have. I find that gratitude really helps me a lot in appreciating my life now, my family. It's a good mindset to have gratitude. Joining us today, Yolanda Fintor, an incredible woman who has lived through and survived an unimaginable journey. Yolanda is a mother to three beautiful children, and in a twist of fate, her eldest son, Mark, and second child, Laura, were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a devastating genetic disease that claimed their life at the ages of 29 and 10, respectively. Join us as we walk through the realities of caring for terminally ill children, exploring the depths of grief and the power of resilience. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse and VP of community at nurse.com. All right, mom. I call you mom because you're my mother-in-law. Your name is Yolanda Fintor, though. I'm so happy that you came and joined me for the podcast, mom. Thank you. And I like being called mom. Gives, gives me a place of honor, I think. Oh, well, we love you. I love you. And this is a conversation that I think I've wanted to have with you for a while. And, and we've had variations of this conversation over time. But I don't think with this type of intentionality behind it. So let's just start with you are the parent, you are the mother to three children, two of which are no longer with us, one of which is my wife, Dawn Lunsford, and you had two children that both had cystic fibrosis. Right. And these children were born during a time when, so in the 50s, so Mark was born in the 50s, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Tell me a little bit about just the experience of having a child in the 50s and what it was like for you in terms of just finding the diagnosis, just finding his diagnosis. Yes. Um, when After he was born, he developed a cough and he was not gaining weight. Um, I was breastfeeding him, but the food went right through him. So he had very runny bowel movements. Uh, what concerned us was his constant coughing by three months. He was coughing quite a bit, and the doctor that delivered him chalked it up to allergies and maybe my breast milk. He might have been allergic to my breast milk, so I stopped breastfeeding him. Oh, of course it was your problem. <laughs> <laughs> So luckily, I, my mom knew of a, um, a pediatrician who also had patients at Children's Hospital, and she suggested I go to Dr. Harrison, and I did. And she examined him very thoroughly. I told her what all the symptoms were that did not make him a normal baby. And because she did deal with cystic fibrosis children, she recognized the symptoms right away and immediately put him on a... Um, low-fat, high-protein diet, 
gave him enzymes so that he could digest his food. They were bitter tasting, but I put it into nectar, fruit nectar glass, and he drank it without a problem, with no problems. Anyway, he did thrive on this protocol he, he, that the Dr. Harrison prescribed for him, and he did so well that at three years of age, he was really filling out, and she thought maybe she misdiagnosed him. And then wow. uh, she sent him to a, a pediatrician who specialized in cystic fibrosis, who again gave him another assessment, and he confirmed that he did have the cystic fibrosis. Were they able to do genetic testing at that no, time? No, they did not have that. So it was all based off of symptoms that they actually diagnosed him. Yes. And what they did tell us that surprised us was that both parents have to carry the gene for cystic fibrosis. That's true. So at the time, he was diagnosed at three months, and that was in 1954. Lifespan for children with cystic fibrosis then was five years. Oh, wow. So that was a shocker. We were both in our 20s, and, you know, I think young parents are very um, optimistic and thought they could, you know, handle it. And I was lucky that my husband was a a strong person and, and supported the family emotionally, because I found out by taking him to Mark to hospitals, uh, children's hospital for his checkups. I talked to other mothers who told me that the fathers just ditched the family because they couldn't deal with a child that had a terminal illness. Wow. And um, we just did what we we had to do. It it, uh, was part of our daily life to give him the, I forget what they call it now, where you need to tap very strongly the lung area to loosen the mucus. Yeah. So we call it percussion. Percussion. So we, yeah, right. we do percussion. That's now right. they have you know, these vests. That do it? Yes. They do it. Vests that do it. I know it's come a long way, and I know CF children are living a lot longer now and even having families, getting married and having families. Yep. Lung transplants. Lo- yes, yes. And it doesn't even have to be a full lung, I understand. It could be a piece of a lung. That's right. So um, as it turned out, uh, uh, Hudson, Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark um, lived to be 28. He lived to graduate from high school, get a job for two years, and then he wanted to get a degree to get into film work. So he went to CSUN and graduated from CSUN, by which time he was actually on oxygen and uh, not really doing that well. But he achieved his goal, and we were, we were very proud of him. 28 years is quite a bit longer than five. So what do you think was... What do you think was the reason for that? Well, I think I, we had good doctors, for one thing. And we followed the, the protocol that they told us as far as diet goes and exercise as he got older, uh, his supplements that were important. And then when he got to be a teenager, he actually helped himself a lot. When he learned to drive, he drove himself down to Children's Hospital, which, which he used to have to go so many months to clear out his chest, his lungs, and he called it a tune-up, <laughs> and it was just part of a, you know, part of the, his life. And the amazing thing is that he never said, why me? And we never talked about early death wow. or his, his not being able to. He just always thought he could beat it. That was his attitude, and uh, he would work with other teenagers at Children's Hospital and encourage them to take their meds, which was very important, encourage them to do their exercises, physical, stay physically healthy, and 
I think that all blended in with the uh, father that was there that stayed and cared for uh, for him and uh, was a was a rock for us. So all that combined, I think. So about five years later, after he was born, you had your second child. Yes, Laura. Yes, and. Did you immediately know that Laura also had cystic fibrosis? No, she developed a little cough, but she didn't have any digestive problems. And it wasn't until, I think she was probably almost a year old before they decided she did have cystic fibrosis, but not as seriously as Mark. And she would have lived longer, except that she was born with a, uh, which we thought was a birthmark on her hip. It turned out to be a mangioma. And they didn't realize until she was about nine that her heart was working too hard to sending blood because she had, she had these blood vessels going to her hip. So they decided they'd have surgery and cut off the blood supply and give her heart a rest. But it was really too late by that time. The heart had worked uh, too hard. So she passed away when she was 10. But really from heart failure. Yeah, I I would say it was. It was her heart. It wasn't cystic fibrosis. It was her heart. It was just, uh, they just didn't realize. Even though that spot kept getting on her, it kept getting bigger and redder and redder. It just, um, they never got made the connection that it, it was connected to the heart. Yeah, that it was putting a strain. So in some ways, did Mark feel like because she passed away and maybe didn't pass away from cystic fibrosis, directly, do you think that that helped him in a way to maintain his positive mindset? Because maybe in his mind, his sister didn't die of his disease. She died of something else. Do you think that helped? No, I never thought about that. I don't know if that went through his mind or not, because we, we never really talked about it. There was only one time I remember we talked about his impending death, and I don't know how the subject came up. And I was surprised because he said, well, when I die, I don't want an open casket and I don't want organ music. And then huh. we went right back to eating lunch. <laughs> so, and that was the end of it. So we, we, you know, we honored his wishes when, he, when he, he had the kind of funeral that he wanted. But wow. it was as if something warned him that he should say something. I'm How old sure. was he when he said that? Oh, he was, he was um, probably, I'd say around 20, 21, yeah. Okay, so he was starting to maybe feel the decline in his health a little bit more or... He might have, I know, uh, but he did a lot to help himself. He, he saw an ad in the paper about health healers, faith healers. He did call them and made an appointment to go down. He wanted to see what it was all about. And um, he was there for a couple of hours. Well, he, he had to be driving by this time, so he's over 16. And when he came home, he was standing, walking straight, not bent over, which people with lung problems tend to do. And his lips were pink because sometimes they were bluish because he doesn't, didn't get enough oxygen into his system. And he, he was a very changed person. I said, well, what did they do? And he said, well... They had me lay on a table. There was a, a husband and wife team, and uh, they they barely touched me. They just passed their hands over me, and they said a few words. She says, I didn't understand what they were saying, and I I didn't feel anything changing, but they're, they were telling me that they were taking 
the bad energy out of my body and putting good energy and fresh energy in. Wow. And he was so impressed with what happened to his body that he he made arrangements for June, the wife, to come out to the house when he felt like he needed his lungs um, emptied of mucus or some kind of help breathing. And she would come to the house and do the laying on of hands. And he would, there was one Mother's Day when he was feeling stressed out and he called her and uh, she came out and passed her hands over, uh, over his lungs, front and back. And then she would do that and then she would shake her hands like she was shaking off bad energy. Yep. And then she would put back good energy. And uh, after she left, he probably spit up about a cup of mucus. She really mu- wow. thinned out the mucus through faith healing. So I'm a b- big believer now. Um, but, but she even did it over the phone. When he wasn't feeling good one time, he called her. She couldn't come out. She told me to stay on the phone and just talk to her. I said, do I have to do anything? She says, no, just talk to me and I'll send the energy through you. Wow. And uh, that helped also. And I, I find this fascinating because you and dad, I wouldn't say were church going people. I mean, maybe spiritual, but I, I didn't know you to be like church going people. We used to. Correct? We used to go to church. Did you? Oh, yeah. We had our babies baptized. Were you like an every Sunday type of family? Pretty like much. A- I taught Sunday school. I was in the choir. Oh, so I think I knew this about you. <laughs> I, I know you to be a very spiritual person, but in the time I've known you, you haven't really been a church going person, but that doesn't mean that you, you're a person without faith. Um, so I was just curious, like, you know, how that, how that kind of resonated with you when someone was working on energy and maybe like the etheric body. And did that seem like a bunch of hooey or did it, or were you like, oh, you know what? I, I get this. Like from the beginning, when he first started doing this, how did you feel about it? I felt good about it. Ernie wasn't as much, his dad wasn't that convinced, but um, I really felt that there there was something there that was helping him that uh, we couldn't explain. So, uh, and we left the church, I think, because we made some moves and just never found a church that we were interested in going to and just kept up with the golden rule and <laughs> hoped to, God would treat us better. Uh, and of course, we questioned why, you know, why God would uh, give us two children like this and and then take them away uh, and causing all this pain. I was really mad at God for a long, long time. I didn't, I felt he was punishing us and he, there was no reason to punish us. And it took me a long time to, to understand or maybe feel that um, there was a reason these two children were given to us in our care. And it was either to teach us lessons about life and death or to teach them. We weren't sure, but... Or maybe a combination of, of the both. Yeah. Like, you know, that you had something to offer to them and, and they had something to offer to you that was life-changing. Uh, and I think that God picked the right parents because we did all the right things. And I finally resolved my feelings by saying, thanking God for letting us have these children for the time that we did have them because they did enrich our lives. Hey nurses, did you know that nurse.com is the ultimate destination for all nurses? It's where you can find your nurse life in one place. 
That's right. Everything from networking with your peers and continuing education to industry news and career opportunities. It's all there for you. Nurse.com is your dedicated platform to explore a wide range of job opportunities from all across the nation. Whether you're a fresh graduate testing the waters or a seasoned pro desiring for a change in scenery, we've got you covered. Nurse.com forward slash jobs features posts from entry level to executive leadership in every practice setting, even in specialties you might not have considered. So why wait? Leverage your skills and passion in an opportunity worthy of both. Visit nurse.com forward slash jobs today and initiate your journey towards the next chapter in your nursing career. So maybe to take a step back for a second and kind of explore, and the reason I want to do this is because I think that people in general, the public in general, and and I, you know, nurses are part of that. We struggle with grief. We, uh, you know, we struggle with loss. And when at, for me as an oncology nurse, I had seen a lot of parents who had lost children and sometimes more than one child to cancer. Mm -hmm. And it started to make me realize how resilient people are. Because when I think about the idea of losing my child, it makes you think that you're gonna, it would kill you, that you would die if something like that happened. But all the evidence shows that no, we are far more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And that we can be faced with an enormous amount of pain and suffering and that there is an opportunity for life beyond it. And I think you're a pr- the reason why I want to talk to you is because I feel like every day that I look at you, I see someone who has gone through an enormous amount of pain, suffering, loss, but looks at the world in a way that is so positive and that you have so much gratitude and you still genuinely seem to enjoy life. What was that going from like maybe Laura's, the loss of Laura when she first passed to having to pick yourself up and keep going what was that like for you? What was it like for dad? How was that? Well, I knew that um, we had Dawn. Dawn was five when Laura died. And I knew had, I had to be there for her. And I did worry that uh, while the attention we spent on Laura and Mark, if it would have an effect on her. So it was, it was really important to us that uh, we, we, we were there for her. That was one motivation. The other thing was that we found out that we could be sad and still be happy. We didn't have to walk around with a long face all the time. And uh, if, I was, if I was down one day with grief, Ernie would be up. And if he was down, I would be up. We, we kind of helped each other that way, I think. And you know, a lot of parents sometimes will blame the death of their child on their partner, on their spouse even though there's no basis for it. And we never did that. We knew we did the best that we could. 
with these children and uh, kept them alive as long as we could. And Dawn was about 16, I think, when Hudson, when um, Mark died. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's also. He's like, like my boy. And I, Hudson's know, my, I know, I know. He, he's the boy in your life yeah, these days. He is. Our son is now the little light of your life, like over there. <laughs> oh, he is. He is. You, you just, I love him to pieces. Ah, oh, he's, he's such a good boy. But that's that's kind of how we got through, and we um, we expressed our grief in different ways. I remember one day looking out the kitchen window, and uh, Ernie had the um, ping pong table that he and Mark used to play on. He took a baseball bat to it, and he was in such anguish. He just crushed that table. He was he didn't know what else to do with his grief, and this is how he. He didn't take it out on me or anybody else. He took it out on the, the table. And for me, I wouldn't cry in front, of, in front of other people. I cried at night when I was alone. And that's how I handled my grief. So everybody handles their grief a different way. Yeah, and I guess I think maybe the the success of your marriage was that you both allowed each other to process your grief in different ways. And I think it made it stronger. I know of parents who lost children, and it destroyed the marriage. But I think it made our marriage stronger. Yeah, you came together. And and I've heard before that sometimes, you know, the reason is that the one partner won't think that the other partner is still grieving or is still sad, that mm-hmm. they've moved on. That in some way, like that the reason why is because their partner has moved on sooner than they feel that they have. Mm-hmm. And that can cause a lot of animosity and resentment. I'm sure it can, yes. So let's take another step back. (laughs) So you had a third child, and that third child was Dawn. Right. And was that a planned pregnancy? Uh, No, don't tell her that, but no. (laughs) I, I don't think anyone would blame you having two sick children to say, I'm not sure I want to roll the dice again. Well, that was the that was the scare that she could also have cystic fibrosis. It turns out she does carry the gene, but she doesn't have, she did not have the disease. So I've always considered her our gift. It's, it's as though God said, okay, I made you two suffer enough. Now I'm going to give you a gift. And she was our gift. Oh, so it was it was um, wonderful that she was there. I think she helped keep my sanity and she's been a gift ever since. And she's a funny person. So maybe (laughs) maybe the fact that like God also gave you a funny person to make you laugh. She always has such a good attitude towards life and other people. I've never heard her talk badly about anybody. She never talked bad about people. and she loved people. She was a people person. People loved her. And she she was a joy and still is. She is. She is. And so I know you mentioned earlier that you did have some concerns that she was maybe living in the shadows a little bit because she had two sick siblings mm-hmm. where you clearly had to put a lot of your time and energy what did you do to make her feel special or important or? Oh, I don't know. I think, may, I think her dad might have taken her on some dates, luncheon dates or doing something special with her. Um, 
I know we were very proud of whatever she did. We could tell at an early age she was musically inclined, and we we promoted that and uh, supported her. Even when she decided to quit playing the piano and play the guitar instead, I thought, okay, I'd rather have her play voluntarily than have me play, have me stand over her and make her practice the piano when she didn't want to. <laughs> so she had her own things. She did, and, and uh, I never really gave it that much thought that she was being ignored, and I, I never really discussed it with her either. I'll have to talk to her about that if she ever felt ignored. Well, I know at one point she said to me, well... You know, it's tough when, you know, maybe you just have a cold or a flu or something. But it's hard to compare that to dying. If you're always around, you know, siblings who, you know, are really in life and death scenarios, Mm -hmm. everything else can kind of pale in comparison, even though it might be something that is hard for her you know, or she's struggling with, or maybe it's just a toothache, or maybe it's a fever, or maybe it's something. But, you know, I wonder sometimes, like, it's probably hard to speak up and ask for that attention, maybe, when you know that your parents are... Well, I think Dawn had a lot of uh, empathy for them. Well, she was only five when Laura died, but with Mark, she was nine or 10 years younger, and she would bring the world to him and spend a lot of time talking with him. And uh, when he was confined to bed, if he wasn't feeling well, I mean, she was kind of his comfort and his eyes out to the world. And she did that for him. I think a lot of that is empathy and love. And she was the kind of person that probably saw what was going on and decided she would not criticize her parents for it, that this is the way it had to be. This is the way life is. I don't know. I'll have to ask her. (laughs) We'll have that on another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can really only imagine I'm the parent of, of one child. So I don't, you know, have the dynamic of more than one, one child or the that kind of sibling dynamic. Uh, But I can imagine that guilt is a tough thing as a parent. I know moms have mom guilt all the time. They have guilt about going to work. They have guilt about, we're really hard on ourselves. Moms are hard on themselves. Was it something that you, did you struggle with that at all? Did you struggle with any kind of like guilt? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I did. I had a little bit of guilt. I wasn't hard on myself, but I think every parent that loses a child has that guilt in wonders, could I have done better? Did I do it right? In fact, I just wrote a poem about that. (laughs) Yes, I do remember guilt feelings. Yeah. Yeah, guilt's, I mean, guilt is part of the whole process, right? I mean, feeling anger, feeling guilt, bargaining, all the different, like, you know, things that we do in grief 
guilt is just part of that, you know, Mm -hmm. leading all the way up to acceptance. Well, I think anytime your kids even go astray, probably parents say, what what did I do wrong? (laughs) Yeah, it's there, but I got over it. (laughs) But see, that's what I think is really incredible about you is that you acknowledge things. Everybody knows I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. It's all about kind of the recognizing of things, the rumble, rumbling around with it, like really trying to explore what that is bringing up for you. And then kind of the revolution of like coming out of that and and doing that with like hard things, things that come up. Mm-hmm. And I think you've been really good about that. I don't see you as someone who just buries things away. Although I do think that that is one level of coping mechanism to put things behind a door and not open them. Yeah, I think I did put a shell up after that for a while of... of uh not feeling hurt so much. I remember doing that for a little while too. I don't know whether I just pretended it didn't happen or I lived in a make-believe world. Yeah, I think we all find ways to uh, protect ourselves from more pain. Yep. So a dissociation. I, I'm sure, yeah, you I'm know, sure I did that. Kind of being dissociated in a way or creating some sort of alternate reality for ourselves. Because to what you're saying, protecting yourself from the pain, sometimes there's just only so much that you can experience and tolerate at one time. You pull out the memories as you can process them, maybe. I would say so, yeah. You start remembering the good times and not the bad times. And you really concentrate on that and things that you... To be grateful for. Uh, to me, that's, that's, that's living a good life, to be grateful for what you have and not be bitter about what you would like to have and don't have. Yeah. But uh, I, I find that gratitude really helps me a lot in appreciating my life now, my family, the support I get, my friends. And it's, it's a good mindset to have gratitude. <laughs> And this is something that I think is going to really resonate with nurses because caregiver fatigue is is a real thing. And I've talked about this in one of our previous episodes, the 24-7 caregiver, and really tough when you just go from one caregiving situation to another, to another, to another. And you have not just cared for two sick and terminal children, but then you've had other people, friends, family, Erla, Aunt Bertha, who you took care of, dad, who you took care of. So you have been a caregiver for a very long time. Did you feel like there was a period of time where you had a little bit of relief from that? Was there a period in between Mark and maybe Erla where you had a little bit of relief from caregiving or has it just been, was it just a lot of years together? I I don't know. I don't feel that put upon with Erla because, or my mother-in-law when she had to go into assisted living because I wasn't doing the, uh, 24-7 job. What what we had to do was decide where we could have them go and get the best care. So that wasn't physically, it wasn't physically hard on us. And it was true with his Aunt Bertha too. She lived to be 95 and we made sure she was taken care of in a board and care home 
for the last two years of her life. And then the hardest, I think, was just taking care of uh, Ernie. The last two years was pretty physical, but before that, it was a gradual decline of his health that you know, he would go from a cane to a walker to an um, uh, electric scooter because it was cooler than a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I never resented it. I think that after 60 years of marriage, you have a partner, and then all of a sudden, the partner keeps disappearing, and you're doing a little more and a little more and a little more on your own. And then when it gets to the point where he just, he can't function and you have to be there for him. And he feels awful about it because he knows how much pressure it puts on you. And you keep saying, well, if it was turned around, you'd do the same thing for me. And yeah, he agreed. And, but he thanked me every night for taking care of him. And, uh, and I have a friend that's going through that now, too. And it's, uh, she's by herself and she does it. I says, well, when you get, you know, burned out, you just call me anytime. We'll talk because I know what you're going through. Yeah, having that connection, being connected to other people. And also, I think that's something that you've done kind of remarkably well is staying connected to people in your community because you've been part of the writers group. And is it California Writers Association? Club. Club, uh uh-huh. And you've been a part of that for a long time. You've written cookbooks. You were playing volleyball up until this year. So clear up into your 90s, you were playing volleyball. Right, (laughs) right. Which is amazing. Uh, But you started back in your 40s, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in my 40s. So you've been connected to, you stay connected to people. And I think that's an important part of um, having, uh, being healthy. This is what they always tell seniors too, you know, as they age and they retire, they're always urging us to keep in touch with friends, to be social, to volunteer, be active. Yeah, I guess that's what I've done. And uh, it's been a tremendous help. Makes me feel like I'm only 60. I know that the listeners can't see her, but she always gets mistaken for somebody who is in their 70s. Always, we, no matter where we go, people are shocked <laughs> to find out that she is as old as she is because she looks incredible. Her energy is unmatched. So any you know, younger <laughs> men out there, you know, feel free to write in. <laughs> Nobody over 70. <laughs> yes. No men uh, over 70 need apply. Uh, unless you're older and you can teach me to play uh, pickleball. <laughs> oh, yes. Pickleball is the new thing for uh, Yolanda Fentor. So <laughs> I, well, mom, I could talk to you all day because I think that there's so many things that we could touch on. But I really think that what you were able to bring to this episode today is just hope an incredible amount of hope for people who are out there experiencing immense trauma and grief and sadness and loss. And I imagine that when they hear this and when they hear your story, that they can see themselves at 90 plus years old doing some of the things that you're doing and having and enjoying the kind of life that you're enjoying today and that's what I that's what I hope for people. That's really nice of you to say that, but I also have to tell you that 
my experiences at the hospitals with with um, Mark really made me respect nurses, especially, I think especially after I became a full-time caretaker to my husband, I thought, these nurses do this every day, and how do they not get burnout? You know, it's so, I'm very proud to have you as a nurse, too, and my daughter-in-law, and and I've learned so much from you as well about nurses, so, and how they do get burned out and uh, not always treated fairly. I don't know what that has to do with me, but I just uh, no. I, I just think it's a lovely. To... I think it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> you know that there's so much to offer, and I know how much you appreciate and love the work that nurses do, and that you've been touched by that personally. And so I just appreciate those words, and I know everyone listening really appreciates those words. So. I think I've taken up enough of your Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime. (laughs) We may have you on again because I may think of other things that I want to talk to you about. And at some point, I'm even going to interview your daughter about just her own experiences. That would be interesting to me too. I would really like to hear her voice on that. Yeah. Well, that is going to happen. So for all of you listeners, if you enjoyed this, I am sure you will also enjoy an upcoming episode about just the experiences of being a child within a family, kind of going through these types of experiences. So stay tuned for that. And mom, I love you. Oh, I love you too. (laughs) Bye. Bye for now. If you are a nurse who enjoyed this episode and you have an idea for future episodes, you can connect with me by downloading the nurse.com app. Nurse Dot is a nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse Dot Podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.